0: you're listening to joe dalton on dublin south fm crossing the rubicon
1: andy gillix welcome to the joe dalton show yes a man now who has meandered his careers through many paths from a actor some people might recognize you from tv some people might recognize you from being down the bus stop down gonna, the bus stop.
2: They might recognise me from TV if they really looked hard. Joe,
1: if they really looked hard, <laughs> I was a, an actor, not an actor. One of these stand-in actors in some movies, and I, I was even in one movie, and I had to tell people that was me, and no one believed me. I was dressed <laughs> up as a copper.
2: It's, it's weird, actually. I found that when I did acting, I, I got cast in two roles that either be really horrible thugs and nasty nasty people or i'd be coppers it would it would be one of the two always
1: one of the two you have that head you know as my brother used to say you know god rest his soul run with the hounds and hide with the fox yeah you know and and when i was traveling around the world he he said to me there's one thing that will always keep you safe and i says what's that look like a mugger and not a muggy (laughs) <laughs> and it's, true. Perfect. It's, Perfect. it's true it's true but Andy you've had some life um you you know you've you've had your like to, most of us uh you've had your ups and downs you know you 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 went through a rough patch in your life as well and and now um I was speaking to you there the other week and I, I really admired what you what you were saying and you you it's like that you've really sort of bounced back and and now you know, passion, you know, purpose, you're, you're really nailing that as well. And you're helping other people and really helping yourself. So where did it all begin? Where did it all begin for you, my friend? I,
2: I, I, I suppose I, I come from very, I'm very proud to come from quite humble beginnings. Um, so it, it was, uh, I'm from the east end of London. Um, just me and my mum uh, sort of grew up together. Um, but it was a very tight, tight family. Um, it was just, uh, and my my nan and granddad as well. So, um, I suppose very humble beginnings. Um, family is very important, um, and and I suppose treating people as they treat you. Um, I, I've always found that that those were the those were the key things that I was taught when I was growing up, sort of uh, in the east end of london and and i was speaking about this actually to a friend the other day about the advantages of growing up in quite an urban environment um i think you learn a bit of respect actually from doing that um i think you earn respect for people in life i think you earn respect for people that have a good work ethic in life um, and whether that work ethic transcends personal or work is irrelevant um you know i've, I've seen people that from the from from where i'm uh, raised and, and born Joe that that work extremely hard at managing their family or they work extremely hard to make sure that their kids stay on the straight and narrow there's many different variations of that but that's that's what I remember about growing up um so yeah that, that that's really a little bit about where I'm from just um very honest very open um and London at the time I think in the 80s was was a great city to grow up in um very diverse, multiple people from multiple places in the world, different cultures. Um, and I think that gives you a really great understanding of a very early age of, of, of the differences that we are in life, but not only then differences, but celebrating those differences, which I, I don't think is something we do um, that much anymore. I think we should do it more.
1: Yeah, like I, I always say, you know, London on a Monday night is what Dublin was like on a Saturday night. You know, London is, is always busy, all the restaurants, everything. And there's always that and different parts of it have, you know, the different cultures. And, you know, there's, there's one place I remember drinking in, um, it was the moon under the sun or the moon under the sea, uh, Witherspoons pub. And there was characters in there, you know, there was, you know, and, and people reading the notes, you know, people, someone coming in in bare feet with a dead cat under their arm and still being so appointed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and, it, and then there's, you know, then there was the other places that she, that that would associate with as well, you know, the more upmarket, but it, yeah, yeah, London, I love London. I yes, think it's, crazy. yeah, I think it's one of the, one of the great cities out there and it's, you know, it's fun. It's like Dublin, you know, it's mm. the, the, the Dublin's a wonderful city as and, well. Um, you know and and like in ireland england you know i think for every person that i ever met in england someone was related to them in ireland you know there's that generation gap and that's what i think you know political has has tried to divide us in some way but you know ancestry were were, were very much the same we're very yeah. much the same.
2: well funnily enough my nan was the first of her generation to be born in the uk so her mum was from the south of Ireland, a um, um, uh, Kerry. So, yeah. so my history is exactly the same there. Um, and 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 I I do agree actually. It's uh, obviously now I'm married to an Irish woman. Um, my 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 son will be brought up over here. Um, I I think my wife and I were talking about this the other day. We were talking about the the differences and and and, and I said from an English person moving over here and basing my life over here, it's it's. Interesting to see how similar we actually are, yet how apart we actually are. Um, it's it's uh, it's history, though, isn't it? Uh, history shapes us all. One
1: one of the things you know people laugh at between Ireland and England, and and the football. When people watch football here, you'll have ten people around uh, a table in a pub all wearing different t-shirts. You know, one Liverpool, one Manu, Chelsea, United, or whoever. I remember when she say to people in England, and they go, "What? No way!" He says, "Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. just the way it is." And you know, it's very
2: tribal in England.
1: Yeah, 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 and and also, you know, it's the one thing that we love watching is for me personally is the Ireland and England uh, rugby games. You know, I'm not I'm not big into to soccer. Uh, I'm a, I'm into the rugby. As someone said to me about soccer, it says if I wanted to watch. You know, someone try and score for ninety minutes, I'd bring you out well for a pint. You know, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. It's uh, there's the. I mean, my my wife's family are heavily involved in a in a rugby club uh, called Barnhall, which is based in Leakslip. Slip, um, and we'll go and watch them every Saturday. And it's a real family orientated club. It's a uh, it's actually a great club, I, I have to say. Um, and and I think. Naturally, I think rugby and football fans have got different personalities, and um, they certainly have in England because yeah, I think football definitely. fans tend to come from more of an urban environment, whereas rugby fans tend to um, not come from that kind of environment. Um It's, uh, but yeah, I I see that obviously. Like my, my wife's family, they they don't care if England win the Euros, but they will care if England won the World Cup at rugby.
1: <laughs> yeah, for me, it was like, you know, I couldn't kick a yeah. ball couldn't kick a ball but I could get into a scrum you know like I I was rugby I played for Seapoint Rugby Club um so I loved the rough and tumble but I also did martial arts as well yeah so but don't don't ask me to kick ball and dribble it around but ask me to run into him and I could <laughs> yeah. did you find Joe actually
2: that with the martial arts did it did it give you something mentally because I think a lot of people when they speak about uh, like I've always said boxing is is good for, especially where I'm from. It was a good way to channel the mind and and get discipline within oneself. Have, have you found that with martial arts? Did that give you? What did that give you mentally as well as physically?
1: Mentally, it made me. It was confidence. So knowing, even though if I couldn't handle myself, knowing that I thought I could, and we were always taught to walk away from stuff. So confidence and that. But also made me understand the natural flow of things. Don't force against. Go with the flow. So it helped me definitely in life. Definitely, you know. And for us, we were made do stuff growing up. You know, kids now, and you know, the babysitter, and is the iPad or is the phone and uh, on it as well. So it's 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 interesting how we we evolve as as human beings. But yourself, you know, you went was sort of a rough patch was it, and and yeah, you you basically were you you were in bed, was it in bed for a yeah. couple of
2: months or? So when I was about uh, twenty nine, it was uh, I started to have real issues when I was walking, um, real pain in my feet, uh, and at the time I was thirty stone, Joe. So the NHS just turned around to me and said, "No, it's because you're fat. You you see, you need to lose weight, and your feet will be fine." So I never really looked into it. Anyway, it got worse and worse and worse. And uh, eventually it led to me being, I suppose, confined to a bed, um, which was the best part of two years. Um, and then during that time when they realized that it was possibly more than just being overweight, um, they I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. So um, it, was a, it was a very harsh time. I knew nothing about rheumatoid arthritis. I didn't know anything about the disease, what it was um i at the time I, I remember thinking i was the only person in the world with it now obviously since i've learned a uh, a lot about a lot of people suffering with this disease um from a very early age all the way into their later ages in life um so yeah it 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 took me it took me about two years to come to grips with the illness um and as 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 we spoke about on the last show i had to lose um around fifteen stone it was to um actually Get the operation that I needed uh, because by a year or so, the, it was so aggressive that it had actually eaten away at my hip, hips, so I had no hip um, in effect. Um, so I had to have two hip replacements. Mm. So yeah, it was it was it was a tough time. Um, it, it was it was a tu- it's certainly a time that I wouldn't wish on anyone else uh, that I I know whether I like them or not.
1: Did this mentally sort of help you? Because I know that there could have been there's some people out there who we all go through stages of, you know, the, you know, that that's, oh my God, what's happening to ourselves. The dark night of the soul is the words I'm looking for. Um, yeah. was it, was it that case that you kind of went, you know, things can be better or I know personally for myself many years ago when I was looking at things and it was a mantra that I always had in life was life is not meant to be like this. Life is meant to be easy. Like what's causing this? this you know trouble in the world because you know people just want to be happy all over the world in different countries people don't care what's going on in another country they want to just sit around and have fun and laughter so I was always questioning you know why is it why is it like this did you feel that yourself as well Uh, to a degree
2: I think I've always felt happiness is subjective what what makes you happy might not be the same thing that makes me happy Mm. anyway so happiness has always been something to me that i've never strived for i know that sounds a bit weird because everyone's striving for happiness but but i never strived for happiness i i I strive more to be content knowing that if i could be content with my space my my life my what my existence is then the happiness would follow um it was dark. And and, and and I think there's stages of when you have an illness, you have the first stage, which is why me? What am I doing? Why me? Why is it me? Um, and and that, that was hard. Um, and that probably took me about six months to get uh, through. Uh, I'm crying all the time. I wasn't much good to anyone. I was just literally in a bed, big lump in a bed, crying my life away. Um, and then you get to a point where you sort of realize that this crying isn't going to make me better. This isn't helping me. This isn't helping the people around me more importantly. Um, so then from that point on, I would say that, yeah, I, it, I started to look at everything a bit differently. I started to look at how I could achieve a level of contentness with the situation that had been presented in front of me. Um, and then I think once you hit that you start to look around and once you start to look around and you can see other people that may be in a worse state or through no fault of their own, it, it sort of gives you a bit of a place of where you fit in this whole line of long-term illness. Um, and I think, I suppose, I suppose I've talked a lot there. What I'm simply trying to put in is you have to get to a point where you're happy that you've got a long-term illness because the other thing would be that you, the illness took you away. Yeah, And I sooner have a long-term illness than not be around anymore. So you, you sort of have to make concessions like that and accept. It's all about accepting. Um, accepting that this is life and it's fine. It's not the worst thing in the world. Do you fear debt? Not anymore.
1: No. No. No, no. I, I, I don't either. Anyway, for me, it's a case of, I think, on my deathbed when I'm older, I'll have my little packed lunch. And I go, right, guys, and I give them all thumbs up. I'm going to find out now, is there something after here? And if there is, it's going to be amazing. If not, I'm gone, but I'm yeah. ready for this. And I think society has, you know, conditioned us on how to live and how to die, really and truly. Yeah. I, don't
2: I think I, I, I'm not worried about death. I am, and please don't take this as an arrogant thing. I do worry about the implications of death oh, for yeah. the people that it's love me um but that for me is it you can't fear what you don't know and as you said we don't know what death is
1: yeah and i i want to live till a very old age and i want to be on a bed i don't want to be a horrific death somewhere in the near future
0: yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah.
1: well but i'm I'm not fearful of death in in itself
0: on it you're listening to joe dalton on dublin south fm Crossing the Rubicon.
1: When you were going through that stage of your life, and you had to lose that weight, and you, you know, you were you were bed bound. Did you have a connection within? You know that you may call it a spiritual connection, or a, you know, just an awareness and an enlightenment. Did you have that yourself? Did you? Um, I think
2: I did in hindsight, but I don't think I knew that at the time, because hmm. it was it was it was just. It was just work. I knew I had to do, I had to swim every day. I knew I had to do certain things every day. So it was really just about looking at the small steps and not the big picture. And they just attacking the small steps. And I was so focused on that. But I don't really think I give the spiritual side of it any thought process until afterwards. Uh, and in hindsight, I realized actually through helping other people um, that, I learned a lot of spirit, spirituality through all of that. Um, and I think it was very important. I think it's, you know, whether that be through meditation. And when I say spiritualism, I don't necessarily mean, you know, that that big, there's something over us that is controlling everything. So, although that could be true. Um, I, I'm more, I'm talking about having a spiritual understanding of yourself and where your place is in this in your in, in this existence that we're all in, yeah. But I only realised that
1: afterwards. Yeah, I think it's 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 all a personal journey. I think that everything happens out there. It's about your own personal journey and how you do with it. You know, like I did a TEDx talk a, a, a long time ago. I know in 2019, and it was in that I was telling you know it's only six minutes long, but it's you know everything outside here is irrelevant. It's when you figure it out inside, then you start to awaken about what your reality is and, and what's around you. And I think that's—I think you've said it there yourself as well. It's you don't know, but you kind of go something, something mm-hmm. is. And like Andy, what what I what I'm noticing as well in the world as 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 we get older and as we get wiser, I'm just seeing everything as. A lot of it's just make believe, you know, that yeah. way it's, it's really just, you know, I, I see it as you're an actor. Okay. Um, you've been on, you know, you've been in the bill and these East, are Enders, are, um, and I see the world as everyone on stage and all the politicians, all the police and all the, all the people in the shops and customers, and everything are all on stage and they've all got their uniforms or their clothes on for their part. And they've all been given a script and they have to, you have to stand there and you have to stand there. And all I see is, is just this big act. Mm. And I'm now no longer participating or consenting in this because I see it as just a matrix make-believe. And I'm sitting in the audience observing all this especially with what's going on in the world at the moment. We can't deny what's going on. And I'm just looking at it and going, if people could see what I could see, none of this, none of this would make any sense to them. And life could be wonderful. Do you get that yourself?
2: 100%. I mean, there was a very famous line written three, 400 years ago now by possibly the, one of the greatest playwrights ever, which is uh, the world's about a stage and we're, just main, we're mainly players nothing's changed that was written 400 years ago and and it's still the same now i've always felt the powers that be need to give they need to make you think you have an element of control about your life but it's only when you come to the realization you actually have no control that you can actually start to wrestle back some control
1: that's a good point yeah that you know you realize you you don't have any control you know I, I was having a coffee with some people yesterday and that's just sparked it. And I was trying to say to them before state and before rules and before regulations, there was man and the land, nothing else. And then suddenly state government rules, regulations all came in and we, we were laughing about it. And it got to the stage that I, I was just breaking my heart laughing. I said, I said to him, do you know like how crazy it is? And he said, how? He says, you need to have a license to get married. I says, you need to have a dog license. I says, when you see the two of them, do you not see how bonkers this whole public arena is? And they looked at me and laughed and went, you're so right. It's all make-believe. It's all make-believe.
0: Yeah.
2: I think it's, I I think it's, um, it's not just make believe. I mean, I think it's worse than that. I think that we're so, uh, we're so institutionalized now into, and and I think COVID's showing us all of this, because I think COVID split the world here. I think if we look at the world right now, if, if I just look at my own internal mindset, I've got half of the people that think that this is a serious disease, that, that the world needs to deal with right now, that everyone needs to be vaccine because that's our right as humans to be vaccined. And on the other hand, I've got a load of people who think it's just one big conspiracy and that they're not going to get a vaccine. They don't want this, they don't need this. They just want to get out of the house now. And I think that that difference in the world in the last year has really, really shown us actually how little control we've got. You know, let's be honest, Nothing's changed. The same companies that always make money have been able to make money from COVID. I'll
1: give you something crazy here. Um, there was a concert on in Ireland, and they were testing people. So basically what happened, it, the, 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 you see the pictures up online. So yeah. they had a concert test, and all the public were all in little boxes with maybe six, six or four, their group in little pens, basically. And then up the front there was a big, huge, wide open gap, and all the TV stars and the celebrities were all in there, and they weren't in pants. They were all. In there. Yeah. So it was like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was it was like Animal Farm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you yeah. know.
2: It was, and, and on a serious note, I, I think this gives you the best analogy of the real world that we 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 live in now. Unfortunately, my father passed away about a month or so ago. Um. And I had to watch that funeral on a TV screen. I couldn't go. I had to say goodbye to my father on the TV screen.
1: Yeah, it's,
2: now, it's... if I was a part of the royal family, not only could I fly from America to come and see Prince Philip, I, I could have gone in there. I could have seen him. I could have said goodbye. But why do they deserve that? And why do, should, do I not?
1: Yeah. And, and, and I think what, what COVID has brought out and lockdown, I think it has allowed people who are willing to look to see that something is wrong you know Mm -hmm. where and i keep saying this where it would take us five years we're finding out in four months and we're finding out that people that are making rules are making rules on their own reality of their own family like take it this way if someone was saying oh you can't go to funerals if they were making the rule and someone died they'd be changing that rule for everyone because it affects them in their own eternal world and that's that's the mistake that that's been made at the moment Mm -hmm. but yeah i think this whole lockdown COVID is allowing us to wake up it is and it's allowed into question and vaccine or not vaccine what i believe is that both sides are doing exactly what the rulers want and i call them rulers causing the divide so both sides are doing the job that's really what it is Um, I'll give you my analogy of it and this was shared with me and it made a lot of sense as well. Um, and tell me what your thoughts are on it. Okay. Mm -hmm. You have the Titanic out out on the bay and the lights are on and everyone, you know, the music is playing and everyone's rowing out to this boat because it's heading off to Acapulco and everyone's cheering and, and going brilliant, the new life. This is it. And then you have the people on the shore, right? Protesting, going, come back, come back, you're going, come back, come back, going, right? And what happened to the Titanic? The Titanic goes down. What happens when it goes down? You know, that swell, all the boats go in on it, and the backwash takes everyone off the beach. Okay. And that's what's happening. And when I was asked, where was I? I inst- instantly said, I was down a bit with stones, skipping stones across the water observing all this with my family and going come on we go and light a foreign place of music and what i was trying to get to people that i'm not participating or consenting to this madness but i'm just looking after myself and my family unit because i'm 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 a sovereign human being and i'm a spiritual i believe in i believe in god and i believe that there's something in me now that i can see all this and none of that really affects me and that was my that analogy on, and I think it helps people really understand. Do you see what I'm trying to get at here?
2: I, I think you're. I think you're right. I think. I think in essence, it's it's really about looking at the small space that's around you, and and understanding that space and understanding what your part is in that space. Um, and I think once you have that understanding, life's a lot easier to navigate. Actually, and I think we've all done that. I mean. My my wife's been terrified of COVID, uh, Joe. Terrified. Um, so I've had to make sure that we, even if I don't think we should, and that's not what I'm saying. I I, I think that's the most important thing, you know, making sure that the people who are around you, uh, are comfortable. Um, yeah. Yeah. So and, that, and that that's safe. sort of why.
1: Yeah. You know, I've I'm learning that that the terrify is, you know, like I jumped in the car and I drove up to the radio station. And I had on the radio. I don't listen to radio anymore, even though this is a radio station. You know, I listen to this station, but I don't listen to the the bigger stations. Mm. I was terrified, literally terrified. And I was, oh, my God, that energy that's coming through. And, I, you know, so if you're listening to the mainstream and you listen to the news and you listen to Sky, you listen to Fox or whoever it may be, where energy goes, energy flows. And you'd be, but if you disengage from it, it's. It it has no power. But what I'm also noticing, in, it's not about COVID anymore. This is the mad thing that I'm seeing, Andy, that it's not about COVID. People are doing this now so they can have a pint or they can go for a meal. And I'm sort of saying, hang on. I wouldn't personally walk into any establishment that is offering segregation, right or wrong. You know, my moral compass is telling me I cannot do this. And that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm looking down the beach, skipping the scones, going, can you just not see this fake yeah. world, you know, t- yeah. that's been created? Yeah.
0: You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM crossing the Rubicon.
2: It's it's all about control. Um, yeah. and a lot of a lot of what's happened around COVID by the uh, larger and smaller governments is all enabled them to wrestle back a level of control that they've been wanting for years
1: yeah once I COVID always believe I always believe once you give someone control doesn't matter it's very hard for them to let go of those strings I don't care what it is
2: I, I think you make a point actually I, I, I don't think um, I think there's can humans deal with control can any of us actually deal with being in control no every human over the course of history well there's a few maybe every person that's had an element of control has abused it to a certain degree
1: yeah yeah and that's what I, I you know anything you take anyone who's you know someone who's example you know someone who's worked in supermarkets and they're stacking shelves or everything and suddenly they're they get that promotion you know and they're not equipped to it the ego gets in mm-hmm. and causes them and they realize or in sales. You have salespeople. They were great. Mm-hmm. And then they're made managers and they're crack managers. Yeah. But they've been promoted because they were good sales mm-hmm. because they not. They haven't been trained to be good leaders. Yeah. So, you know, let's look at all the politicians then and let's look at all the people in power. These are all put in power because of their knowledge within their profession. But they haven't been educated in being a leader. And a leader, a, a true leader is someone who doesn't, who has to remove themselves from the conversation or the decision to see what will this impact be on everyone and what will the long-term be as well. So I, yeah, there's, and then there's the elite. Then
0: there's the Actually, elite.
1: <laughs>
2: it's, it's funny, Joe. I, I said something very similar to my team the other day that, one of my team that, that I manage was saying that I don't take compliments very well. And I said, it's not that. What it is, is that I firmly believe that good managers work hard in the background so their team get the plaudits. And if their team are getting the plaudits, that's their job done.
1: Yeah. And would you think also that a lot of people are frightened to ask for help? Completely, because yeah. it means that you're weak.
2: Yeah. With,
1: with, that,
2: that, that's drilled into us all as humans, is that if you are, have to ask for help, it means that you're not strong enough to deal with something on your own in your own way, which is completely, I mean, it's, it's, it's madness, actually, because I, I would argue that asking for help shows strength because it shows that you've got the intelligence to know what you can and can't handle, and, and you we, we should always be asking for
1: help. I mean, that's... Yeah, yeah. I, like it's social engineering, which has being played on us at the moment, and game theory, you know, those yeah. two elements are being... Shown to people, but you know, I'm I'm what I'm sort of figuring out. It's not about people are frightened to ask for help. I don't think people know how to ask for help. You know, it's, it's a fair point. Yeah. So, I there is the issue itself. I don't think they they know how to.
2: Well, I think I think it's a cultural thing. I think we we was talking. Um, my my wife and I were talking about therapy, not just talking about it and we were talking about how in america it's so accessible and people really understand the benefits of therapy yet there's still something in the uk I, I i wouldn't i don't know about ireland but i've not lived here long enough but there's still something let's say in europe where there's a stigma attached to therapy and it's so unhealthy because to be able to ask and receive help in the right kind of way as you said there it's rewarding and also it actually can help you as well. I mean, I, I had therapy when my mother passed away because I needed to. And, and and it really enabled me to understand why I was in such a bad place in a very positive way. Um, and it completely enabled me to deal with the emotion of her passing away. Um, without that therapy, I probably would still be living with that today. Um, but I never asked for that. I, it was pushed on me by my wife who said, like, if you don't go, you you're not going to be the same person you have to go and speak to someone
1: totally and i think there is that you know america you know everyone has we used to laugh about it everyone has a therapist you know but as you go on you know we have coaches and we coach people and that's talking and i think everybody should have a mentor or a coach no matter what someone they can tap into that could be a best friend it could be whoever it it's someone that you can speak to openly about you know if you're having a good time you're having a shit time if you're you know it's whatever that you can talk and that's all it is it's that expression of talking and yeah it's it's like the police force over here at the moment i heard you know there's um, X amount of police, young police people for people in the guards have committed suicide over the last couple of months or so, especially with what's going on. And, but they're frightened, but I've, I've heard as well, is a lot of them are frightened to express their feelings because within the guards, if you express to feel your feelings, you will lose a promotion. You could lose your promotion. And isn't that bad? So so and I, I, question which is more important to you, your mental health or a promotion? You know, but that's it's, dangerously bad, John. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think I think in that environment, you need to be able to express your feelings because I, I would imagine that if you work in the police force, you, you must see things on a weekly, if not daily, basis that you need to discuss.
1: There's no, yeah, but but also you take that out on other people. Yeah. You know, we, we all take, if we bottle something up and it festers or if you're trying to do something and, you know, you, you, you can lose it, you know, to your nearest and dearest with a shout or a roar or something, you know, so you have to, you have to be doing that. And and that's one of the things that I've learned in life as well. And I'm learning to be more calm around everyone and everything and now listening. And we spoke about this before about listening to people and then making an observation on it. God, if I, if I knew now what I knew, you know, twenty years ago, wow, oh, that's, that's, you'd be dangerous.
0: Yeah, dangerous. <laughs>
1: and
2: what I knew then yeah. as well. <laughs> it's it's it's. I think we all wish for that. Um, that the the stability of maturity when we was young. Um, the confidence as well, that maturity can give to people, um, the confidence within oneself or, or maybe it's just Joe, that point in life where you're like, I don't care to know that anymore. I'm fine. I've, I've, I know me, I know where I am. I know what I love. I know what I need. Um, I know I want to help people and I know I can do that. And outside of that, whatever.
1: I, I think, you know, yourself truly. When you do one of these, you know these personal profiling tick and box things and you know the answers <laughs> before you get it. Like I've done one of them many years ago and then I did one later on in life. And then I, and I when I got it, I kind of went, I know all this. I know this yeah. is me.
0: This, yeah.
1: I can't believe I spent just spent 250 quid in something that I knew. Yeah. You know, and but
2: but a lot of people don't have that ability to be able to look deep within. Um, I, I come from an environment where men shouldn't. I, I distinctly remember being told uh, around ten by um, my granddad, um, and that no, he, this isn't his fault. He's just a product of his generation that you, you, you don't talk as a man. You just deal with it.
1: Just yeah, deal with it. Yeah, that that would you know that's the old you know you don't tell your kids you love them and you don't hug and you're the stiff upper yeah. lip. But that was all again. That's going back to. The fake world.
2: I still think that exists, Joe. I, I, I actually would 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 argue that that exists now more than a. It should do because we should know better. I can't
1: believe but that. It,
2: I, I, I really. I, I, I see it all the time. I still see men nowadays that refuse to open up and talk about their emotions.
1: Yeah, well, believe me, if they do, they'd be better. They'd be better.
2: One hundred percent. One hundred percent. There'd be better people. There'd be better. I mean, I'd like to think that by, up since I've been open to that, I've been a better parent. I've been a better husband. Um, hopefully I was a better son as well. I I'm Just a better person, just just
1: from opening up. What are you learning now about yourself or what are you trying to be better at now at this moment in time?
2: For me personally, I will always have to work on my temper. Um, I have always had a short temper and... It, I mean, it wouldn't necessarily manifest itself in a violent way or anything like that, but that quick, I need to have a breath. I need to just relax and I need to formulate my response. Um, that's something that I will always be working on, um, probably till the day that I, I, I
1: move from this mortal coil. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just thinking there. I call that Zen to zero. You know, you're in a Zen and and suddenly... Someone does something, you know. It, I'm trying to pick an example here. They're far and few between, but it's, you know, you go in and one of the kids just has written all over the wall, and you go, yeah. Oh my God, what have you done? For yeah. God's sake. And you let it roar. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and then after letting that roar, you feel guilty afterwards, yeah. you know, for yeah. letting it. But I've learned that there's this period between the Zen and the Zero, and you can catch yourself. And what now, if my daughter writes on the wall, I'm going, ah, honey, you shouldn't have, ah, for God's sake, you shouldn't have done that. And by doing that, it's a whole new way of parenting. And I kind of look and I go, ah, oh, so this is how we're all calm and everything on it. So yeah, like you, I would, ah, oh, you know, because that's, you know, it was bred into me from my family, Yeah. but learning that and then finding it and all, and you really, when you're catch yourself and practice and it's a muscle it's amazing it's amazing that's that's for me that's the final step of my evolution of everything yeah. that i've been that i've worked on over the last multiple years so yeah, yeah. Zen, zen to zero andy zen to zero
2: I, I i have got better i mean i i have to say but i i think i think i'll probably have work on myself emotionally all the time now till the day I, I've realised that it doesn't stop. I think actually, I think that's what I've learned. It doesn't stop.
1: No, I would agree, but it it'll change and then something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something else. So then yeah. it'll be, you know, I have to get up at five a.m. every morning. Why? Yes, yeah. you know, I <laughs> crawl out about a half eight. <laughs> So that's the next thing i got to work out. Yeah. yeah, but you
2: should, I suppose that's the point that it, it never, you should never stop working on yourself and never always have, to, I suppose, this humility to understand that, you know, even when you think you've got something sorted, something will come along.
1: Yeah. It's like Scott Ballard, who we both know, gets up at 4am in the morning and I've often said to him, not a hope in hell. Not a fucking yeah. hell. There's probably yeah. times I'm going to bed at that time when you're, yeah, yeah, you're yeah.
2: getting up on it. I mean, bed. those days for me are long gone. Uh, I've yeah. got to the roll, the-, the, roll over, <laughs> the roll over,
1: the roll over. Yeah, deep, but deep.
2: I, I was talking. So I, I've got a lot of friends that they really struggled with that transition into, I suppose, being a parent, but not being a boy anymore. Um, they have really, really struggled with that, and I, I mean, like probably more than they should have done. For me, it was never a struggle. So maybe it just came to me at the right time in life. But uh, I quite like being middle-aged. I quite like the way that uh, what's happened in that stage of my life. I, I quite like that my time now is completely devoted to my boy um, and, and my family. I I like that. It's not something, I, I don't resent losing anything that I did from my youth is what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah, and, I, I, and when you find that, you know, that protection and that love and that joy in your family unit, everything out there, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No. Just, yeah, honest. It.
2: It's so key as well. It's so key. It's uh, to love and be loved in a way that's respectful and right for you. Um, it's so key. It gives you such a platform in life to jump from. Um, and I know that that sounds sickly. And I know that when you speak about these things, a lot of people are, mm-hmm. But it's the
1: truth.
2: It's it it you know indeed. It's amazing how much strength you can build from just having some stability uh at home.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're spot on. It is about that, isn't it? It's as as Simon, our, my good friend and yeah. you know extremely well as well. You know, was as we say, it's all about love. It's all about it is.
2: love. It yeah. is. I mean and, and you know Simon's got a a, a massive story about highs and lows, and you know, and how he he's fought to the place that he is now. And uh, you know, we, we've all got we've all got stories of pain, and we've all got issues within our own lives. Grow growing up into adults and what it had to be. The trick is to deal with them. You know, it, 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 there's nothing more you can never be more proud of someone that you love that's taken a negative and turned it into a positive. Yeah. Um, and the journey that they go on to do that.
1: I would leave it there with saying, don't worry. Don't worry. And I think we'll play it with that song as well. We're playing that's a brilliant that song. song. Yeah. Andy, if people want to reach out to you, catch you on LinkedIn.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, uh, Andy Gillies, i um, please reach out and and also I I wanted to say that you know if there's any people out there that are suffering rheumatoid arthritis um, if you're doing it on your own reach out to me even just a little conversation can make that day a lot
1: easier Andy thanks for coming on the show cheers and remember here at Dublin South FM we're interviewing plenty of people around the world conscious leaders and that's why we have the conscious business podcast which is part of the conscious business academy offering purpose profit and prosperity in your life through soulful selling mindful marketing conscious leadership and creative culture if you want to reach out to me it's joe dalton.ie you have an awesome week and take care and look after yourself